Mira. What's going on with you? All the stories we heard growing up, they're all true. It lives inside. Everybody and welcome to the latest episode of Fresh Cuts. This is Mike, and joining me as always, it's Mr. Venom. What's up, Venom? Greetings and salutations, lonely souls. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well. Uh, one of the first days I'm actually feeling human after my latest bout with COVID, so I am ready to go. Are you mentioning, like, if, I think it was a few days ago that, like, you were feeling better, but your voice was still totally like, oh, yeah, maybe. Yeah. And when I went to hit up the, the thread today, I was like, Oh yeah, <laughs> it was really well, just Friday. I can Friday hear it. morning. Yeah, Friday morning. I woke up feeling good, like my body felt good. You know, no aches or pains or excessive sneezing or coughing or anything. But because of basically coughing and sneezing for the last week or so, my voice was just a wreck. Like it, it hurt really bad. Uh, I was supposed to go play poker Friday after we recorded, but that obviously didn't happen either. But, yeah, um, by this morning when I woke up, I am 100%. I think my voice sounds normal again, and it doesn't hurt. So, yeah, yeah. I'm ready to tear some movies apart. You you have any idea if you actually got, like, one of the newer strains? or? I don't think yeah. so, because this wasn't nearly as bad. I mean, I just got it in February. Uh, so I'm thinking that uh, it was the same strain because this wasn't nearly as bad as what I had in February. I like, I was still down for the count for a couple of days, but for the most part I didn't miss like n nearly as much work as I did in February. Uh, I was still able to kind of get out of the house. Like I still had energy a lot of those days. So yeah, this was definitely the same, um, the, the, the same version of COVID just, uh, you know, obviously a little bit lighter since I already had some antibodies inside of me. All right. Well, um, yeah, I, I know. Um, I think Don that made the post on the group page. Yeah, we took last week off, which is better. I mean, if if me and Don really would have like got together and like tried to just put out an episode with the two of us, we probably like, sometimes situations just hit right where like one person can't do it, and the other two are just busy. So it's like, all right, it's it's easy just. Fresh cuts were pretty consistent, like, because just the three of us, same zone, our work schedules are pretty, like, similar, so it's easy to put out for the most part, so, like, once in a while, I don't think taking a week off is, like, that big of a deal, so. Hey, we still consistently do 50 episodes a year, so, uh, you know, we get a week off, too, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and with that, I'll introduce... Uh, as well. So what's up, Don? How are you? 
Yeah, doing good. Um, yeah, just, uh, you know, having a week off. Uh, kind of weird that uh, we had a COVID scare over here at our house uh, right after um, we canceled last week. It was like maybe a day or two later. Um, we had a scare that maybe my dad had come down with it. Um, yeah, it turns out that uh, my mom had to wake me up at one o'clock in the morning to try to get my dad out of bed because he couldn't get up to go to the bathroom. So um, she had to wake me up to get him to go out of the, to go out of the house to, you know, get him into the bathroom. But um, yeah, uh, you know, it was a false alarm. Nothing really happened. Uh, It was just, uh, he overdid his medication. So his uh, legs fell asleep. So Mm -hmm. um, yeah, uh, but you know, we took him in, but uh, yeah, uh, you know, first time over here that uh, we've kind of had this kind of an issue since, um, my family and I are uh, hermits that uh, don't interact with people. So yeah, we've uh, we missed the first strain uh, three years ago. Neither of us, none of us, have ever uh, come down with anything uh, during all this time. So yeah, just uh, you know, kind of funny that uh, you know we finally had a little scare over here because you know he's we kind of had some of the same symptoms and then you know he can't get out of his chair to you know go to the bathroom. But uh, yeah, um, yeah, just uh, you know glad to. Uh, at least, you know, not so much come into contact with it, but uh, ready to uh, move on and uh, finally come back to discussing something because I think this is going to be – well, I'll give it real quickly. Um, I, I didn't mind um, haunting in Venice. It, it was fun. I, I think the twist kind of takes it out of the horror genre, but I didn't mind it. I, yeah, I, I enjoyed it. I had some fun with it. Um but yeah, just that I, I would have wished that it would have stayed in the supernatural and uh, you know actually been more of a genre effort instead of the twist reveal kind of taking it out of it. But uh-huh. yeah, uh, I saw it today too, and I, I, I pretty much agree. I, I enjoyed the movie. I thought the performances were great. Um, it, it's good to see an ensemble cast like that put together a decent murder mystery. I mean, it's definitely not going to go down as like a classic murder mystery by any stretch, but. I thought the performances were cool. The set design was great. Um, you know, the the ultimate, the eventual explanation of what actually happened, uh, you know, was believable. Um, yeah, just overall, I, I did enjoy the movie. I agree it doesn't really go into the genre that much. Like, um, I, I like I said, I, I was basing this on the trailer because you guys know I don't generally watch trailers. But when I saw that it was an Agatha Christie movie, I figured, ah, it's safe to watch, you know, because uh, it's usually horror movie trailers that I tend to avoid. Everything else, I'll probably still give it a shot if I'm mildly interested. So I watched the trailer for this, saw that it was kind of horror adjacent and thought that it might be a good choice if we had nothing better that week. But ultimately, it was a good week to take off because... You know, Don and I would have probably had a lot of the same complaints that it didn't lean into the genre enough. And even though it does leave you with a little bit of a question mark at the end of is there any kind of supernatural element, it's such a minor element to the movie that it wouldn't have really mattered that much anyway. But overall, I did enjoy it. I liked it a lot. And uh, wasting Michelle Yeoh, uh, that's a real big tragedy right there. Yeah, man, that's unfortunate. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about it since the movie's only been out for a couple of weeks and a lot of people maybe still want to see it. And I would still recommend it if you're a fan of murder mysteries. Yeah, that's more more the the, the mindset I would go for. The murder mystery thriller group would would probably be the ones I would enjoy it the more because I think that's kind of 
where what it was leaning to since I, I'm not familiar with um, Christie's work. So, um, I, I mean, I, I've seen, you know, Ten Little Indians, and I, I can't even count how many adaptations of it, and then there were none I've seen. But, yeah, I, I think <laughs> I, I think murder mystery uh, thriller groups would be the ones that would like it more than genre fans because I, I think they're going to enjoy it, but I think the twist will probably just – it'll – turn them off to the film to the point of thinking negatively towards it. And I don't want that to happen because it's still enjoyable. I still had a fun time with it, but yeah, I I think turning it, turning it the way it does, I think that's kind of going to, you know, leave too much of a sour taste in genre fans who are going to look down upon it because of it. So, but yeah, like I said, um, other than that, uh, yeah, doing good and uh, ready to uh, carry on. Uh, I did not see it yet, so I have nothing to add. But what you guys are saying about it are kind of like uh, feelings. Like before before we knew for sure whether we were going to cover it, then when we did, let's do it, and then we ended up not just because of, you know, the, the health scare circumstances. Um, it seemed like, yeah, murder mystery, like maybe there's some borderline supernatural. We'll see, like, how it plays out, and it sounds about uh, that's how it went. I, I Once it hits VOD, because it sounds like for, for what it was, it was it was still like a movie. Um, but with that said, we do have a movie to cover this week. That is our movie, uh, and it was in theaters, and it's from Neon Pictures, which if people aren't familiar, it's, it's to me, it's, it's kind of... Or I think A24s, they're definitely further, like, making, like, bigger budgeted, bigger kind of event movies now. They just have the, the reputation. Neon's kind of another one that's coming up, and they can get kind of out there uh, with their movies, too. Came from a couple of years ago, pretty nutty one there. <laughs> Regardless of, like, people liking it or not, it, it was definitely an experience to see. So this past... Uh, they released their latest, and it was called It Lives Inside. Screens, I don't know if it was Fantastic Festival last year or earlier this year, because I know people in our podcasting circle had mentioned they had already seen it, so I'm, I'm guessing it had festivals, and uh, if it got our yeah, it release. Was, yeah, um, it, it was a potential choice for Fantasia, but uh, it was non-applicable for remote viewing. So um, it screened there, and I believe it was either Cannes or maybe South by Southwest. I don't know why either of those two, but I think it was one of those. Um, Cannes, I think, was one that potentially had it, and I think South by Southwest had it. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense, yeah, because, uh, yeah, I did hear it mentioned. Um, so... I will go with what IMDb says here uh, for Lives Inside. An Indian-American teenager struggling with her cultural identity has a falling out and in the process unwittingly releases a demonic entity that grows stronger. Loneliness. All right. And this is actually rated PG-13, hour and 39 minutes. Uh... Know to say other than that, um, I'm not overly familiar with the cast. A lot of new faces to me, at least, and as well as the writer director. 
we'll start with our general thoughts on It Lives Inside. So, Venom, start off with you, like usual. What did you think of It Lives Inside? Uh, I actually really enjoyed this movie. I thought uh, there were some really good performances in here. I thought the performance of our main actress was spectacular. Um, she really did convey that sense of despair and loneliness that is pretty vital to this movie, especially when you find out more about the demon and its motivations. Um, so, you know, I, I thought there were good performances all around. I thought it was a good story. I am a minority, obviously, for anybody who doesn't know. Um, I, prob I, I definitely didn't live the stranger in a strange land storyline that, uh, that our friend Sam does in this movie. But I still, you know, kind of dealt with a little bit of that outsider mentality of, you know, I'm not one of the crowd or whatever. And so it made me, you know, feel a little bit more for Sam and Tamira in, in this movie and, you know, basically what they had to go through um, at school, you know, before the actual horror takes place. And then once the actual horror starts, um, just feeling, you know, sympathetic and empathetic for kind of what they're going through. So good performances good tension and atmosphere throughout set design eh, it's set in modern times in a modern house. So, you know, set design is nothing really special. You get a lot of scenes at school as well, you know, which is just your basic, uh, you know, American high school, nothing too special. But uh, I, I thought the supporting cast did really well. The parents I thought were, you know, very believable. I really like the mom sometimes in these stories where you get like an Americanized teenager who's kind of distancing for herself from her own culture. Um, the mom in the family can kind of be insipid and almost too demanding. And I didn't get that from this mom. I felt like this mom just really wanted what was best for her daughter and, you know, wanted her to know and participate in as much of actual Indian culture as she could while still being an American teenager, you know, here in the States. So, um, you know, I, I did still feel that from mom. Dad, dad is barely in the movie, but, you know, he, 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 does what he needs to do. Uh, there is one teacher role in this movie who ends up uh, attempting to help Sam. Uh, once again, another likable character. Really, the, I, I, the only unlikable character I found in this movie dies like 10 minutes after we meet him. So <laughs> rock on movie. It's like the movie knew what character was bugging me and just dispatched them quickly. So thank you for that movie because it made the rest of the movie uh, just that much more enjoyable for me. Um, the movie does have a, a, a low body count. It is a PG-13 movie, so, you know, don't expect too much blood. Don't expect too much gore, violence on screen. It's mostly off screen and implied, you know, with, with a lot of the horror in the film. Uh, this this is definitely a film that I think could have done with a little bit more gore. Just just give it the R rating. I understand that this is high school kids, and again, you want to get that crowd in here into the theater, but I, I still feel like it could have been a successful movie. I mean, look at It Follows. It Follows is a movie with high school students, but that movie has legitimate gore and some incredibly tense scenes. So I definitely feel like this could have uh, done with a little bit more on-screen gore. And then our creature, our, our ultimately our creature... Um, this movie definitely uses the less is more mentality. You know, we don't get to see the creature very much early on. It might just be a pair of glowing eyes or maybe a shadowed appendage, like in the corner of the screen, kind of moving back and forth. Um, and then when we finally get it at the end of the film, 
towards the end of the film, like in the third act, um, we get a really nice uh, practical creature. Uh, not, I don't remember seeing any CG with the creature itself, you know, um, it, it moved very human, it, it moved like a guy in a suit, um, which I appreciated. I did like the design, very spiky, with a, with a mouth just full of disjointed and, you know, sharp talons, uh, pointing in all sorts of different directions. I mean, the thing couldn't close its mouth, basically. Its teeth were so jacked up, it couldn't possibly close its mouth, but... I did like, you know, its design. I like that they kind of kept it, you know, off screen for as much as they could while still holding on to that tension. So it still worked for me. So, yeah, I, I have very little to complain about this movie. Is it a top ten candidate? I would say that, yes, as of right now it is. I, I really don't think it's going to be in my top ten by the end of the year because ultimately this is a story that we've seen before, you know, uh, a dark entity attaching itself to lonely people or people that have despair in their life. I mean, you know, we saw it recently with the vigil, which was kind of a Jewish version of almost this exact story. Um, but it doesn't mean that it was a poor film. I still had a really good time with it. I enjoyed it. Um, some people are going to complain about the pacing and that's fine because there are some slow moments in here um, one or two of the slow moments involved the previously mentioned character that I didn't like that was dispatched uh, fairly quickly in the film. So, again, it's like the movie saw a problem with its own script and corrected it. So, again, I appreciate that. Nice job, uh, Bishal, our writer-director, Bishal Dutta. Um, so, yeah, overall, I enjoyed this movie. I'm going to have very few negative things to say about it. But it doesn't mean that it's going to be one of my favorites of the year. I think it's a solid film. It's a story that we've seen before. Uh, it's a story we'll see again, I'm sure, countless times moving forward. Um, it doesn't, you know, redefine a subgenre by any stretch. It, it, you know, it doesn't break the mold or anything. But it's a solid film that I think most genre fans will get some level of enjoyment out of. You know, it may not be your favorite film of the year, but I'm pretty sure it won't be anybody's least favorite film of the year. So, yeah, I, I recommend It Lives Inside. So that's all for me for general thoughts. All right. Go over to Don. What did you think of It Lives Inside? Yeah, um, I'm not going to have much else to add because I'm, I'm pretty much right there with Venom on this one. Uh, I, I really had a good time with it. Uh, I, I love the setup to this. The uh, you know the the inclusion of Hindi folklore is uh, you know a, a new touch to this. Like Nana mentioned, you know, with Vigil being the uh, the Jewish version, you know, this is kind of like the, the Hindi version of that tale. And uh, I mean, if I would have known that he was going in that direction, I probably would have come up with you know a dozen of other takes on this kind of a, a setup and storyline. But yeah, the, there's not much to complain about here. Um, I, I the, the first half is great. Uh, you know, you get a little bit of buildup about who she is, her, you know, identity crisis with uh, trying to fit in at school versus being at home with her parents who are trying to, you know, instill the culture in her, the release of the demon through her ignorance of everything, you know, trying to be that rebellious teenager and not caring and then, you know, being haunted by it afterwards because of it. You know, fun times there. Few decent setups. I, I don't. I, I do wish that there would have been, you know, a little bit more, uh, you know, intact with the the creature coming after her and her friends, you know, make it a little bit more of a, you know, 
visceral threat rather than, you know, just the implied ones that we get here and there where you don't really know if it's, you know, really there or not, you know, her questioning everything and, you know, maybe get like a little bit more visceral, you know, nature to the creature and what it's trying to do. Maybe that would have, that would have, you know, brought the, the gore up because I, I do have that complaint. It's PG-13, you don't notice it, but it's kind of obvious in retrospect when you think about it because there's no real bodies. Um, I can only rethink of, uh, you know, two on-screen deaths because they actually managed to rescue the one victim that mm-hmm. the creature managed to kidnap. So it, you know, it, it takes away a body right there. And again, yeah, it, it's only an after, it's only an afterthought that you think about it that, you know, there is no real, you know, bloodshed or gore in this. So it, it, it is PG-13, but it's not overt and obvious about it. So, you know, yeah, maybe just a little bit more visceralness would have, uh, you know, helped spruce this one up a little bit more but i mean there's very little else to you know really add here uh you know the discovery of her mythology figuring out how to stop it all that's handled really well it you know has some fun moments where the creatures finally you know determined to stop her and you know she has to stop it first and, and you know all the the usual kind of confrontations and encounters that you get in these kinds of films uh you know they're they're handled well you're not gonna be disappointed by anything, but yeah, you're not going to also, it's not going to be a, like a really memorable experience. Like you're really not going to come away from this thinking it's a top 10 of any kind. You know, you're not going to hate it. You're not going to, you know, think like, wow, this was a waste of time or anything, but yeah, it, it's a great, uh, you know, it, it's a great example of one of those where you're looking to boost your numbers up for the end of the year list. And I mean, you know, it's, you know, October is right around the corner, so you're probably going to start thinking about that, you know, sooner rather than later. And, you know, this is one of those that, you know, yeah, you, you're not going to put it in your top 10, but, you know, 15 to 20 or, you know, maybe even 11 to 15, this would be a perfect addition. I'm not going to think ill of anybody that has it in those kinds of, uh, you know, slots because that's probably where it is. And, you know, not going to crack the upper echelon, but it's going to be one of those that just, you know, beats up the back end and, you know, into the honorable mentions kind of a slotting. So, yeah, um, I, I, I don't really have much else to add because, I, I, you know, right in there with Venom with where he thinks on this one. And, uh, yeah, I had a lot of similar thoughts. So, uh, yeah, over to you. All right. Uh, so for me, yeah, I really enjoyed this movie. I thought. Uh it, it presented some, something familiar, but also something new because of the cultural and aspects of it. Um, as far as, you know, the supernatural and on it, I also did like the dynamic of a uh, second generation because um, oftentimes culture identity crisis, right? Because usually their parents are so they bring a lot of their culture over, but being raised in America, there's definitely an Americanized uh, situation going on. So they're kind of pulled between worlds. I thought they built that up and set it up uh, great. And even with the, with the dynamic between the two friends and why they had kind of started out friends being young, off touch, but kind of split off or went in different directions. I thought that was a great way to kind of set it up. Um, I like, like Venom said, there's not many unlikable characters in this movie. Um, and I, I wasn't a lot 
much of like waste to the story. You know, it's it's uh, over 90 minutes, but only by what 10 minutes or so. And I thought it was really good. Uh, yeah, I, uh, I thought it was 96, including credits. Okay. Right around there, yeah. 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 Um, I also agree with the entity. I, they they use like shadow and light really well. Um, they didn't show us too much. They showed us just enough, and then in the third act, we we start getting good shots of it. But it looked uh, it looked practical for the most part, as far as I can tell. Uh, had a couple good scenes of like some death, but I agree uh, we didn't get a ton of area, so it it could come down to like how each viewer feels the impact of those couple of uh, how impactful that is. Uh, maybe it'll have to do with like how or you've bought into the story or the characters themselves. But uh, I thought for the most part, overall, it was enjoyable. Top 10, I think at this point, it's kind of teetering that it, it mm-hmm. personally, it could end up, but it it might not. It just kind of depends how these last few years of the year go. Uh, it, if memory serves me correct, I was kind of in a similar spot with 2022 where um, I had movies that, could and, and and ended up not because in the last few years I really enjoyed there are movies I'm looking forward to uh, still this year so if if some of them hit right then maybe it it would push a movie like this off the list now I would probably say a top 10 or at least an honorable mention we'll see where we are at the end of the year um, what else can I say about this I, I did like the uh, score of it, uh, what else? Um, I yeah, I did like the mom character too because I thought it, they did they good they going like kind of like the intergenerational struggle in this situation. Um, mom didn't feel like a throwaway character, like just like kind of your typical parent in these movies, especially towards the end when the daughter needed the help. Um, I and her efforts to help what's going on. And I like the fact like this affected, like it wasn't, they didn't go the route of like, oh, you have to, you have to act affect you. It's like, no, it's like if, if you're targeted, you're targeted, period. So that was, mm-hmm. um, I, I think that's it for general thoughts because I've mostly, that's already been said. I would recommend going to see it. There seems like the, People don't even realize this came out this week, um, so it's it, it's 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 definitely released because everywhere I I think it's playing everywhere. It's just maybe amazing, um, so people weren't aware. But I recommend it. Go see it here because you know I'm like I said I'm a fan of Neon Studios and I'm. I want them to get like to where they are with A24, where just their stuff is getting that reputation, where it just be a wide release for the most part. So go support it, go see it, um, and yeah, I'll leave there. Yeah, um, I mean, there's not really much else that can be added. I had you know, really enjoyed the movie, really enjoyed the performances. I can't say enough about, you know, even though the story is fairly basic, it, like I said, we have, we've seen it before, it's still executed well. And as long as the execution is there, I'm never going to complain about seeing the same story again. Because ultimately, there are very few original stories left in this world, in this genre of ours. 
And sometimes you have to settle for rehashes and, you know, reinterpretations of concepts that we've seen before. And ultimately, this one does it well. You know, it's not, as I've already said, it's not like an A-plus film by any stretch. It's not something that I'm going to call, you know, essential viewing necessarily. But if you're a fan of supernatural horror, and especially if you're younger and maybe, you know, R-rated movies are kind of out of your wheelhouse, you know, this one isn't bad. I mean, when it comes to a PG-13 movie, um, sometimes I'm a little overcritical of them, but at the same time, I'm only overcritical of them because I can see where they would have went had they had that hard R rating, you know? And this movie, this movie could have gone hard. If, you know, I mean, I mean, think about it. It's a creature that eats people slowly. First it eats their flesh, then it eats their soul. Tell me there isn't a gory movie in there somewhere. There absolutely is. Um, But obviously, you know, if you're going for a wide release with, you know, maybe some quality actors and actresses, you know, maybe you're not going to go for the gore fest. But still, um, ultimately, even without the gore, without the on-screen death, you know, this movie is still very enjoyable. Um, Sam is still incredibly likable, someone that you want to see succeed. And even though the ending of this movie is kind of bittersweet, um, you almost feel bad for Sam, you know, not just for everything. You obviously feel bad for everything that she's had to go through throughout the film, but everything that she's going to have to go through moving forward after the end of this film, you know, it it leaves a lot of thoughts in your mind of all this poor girl and how she has to live now and blah, 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 you know, and is she going to be able to do what she tasks herself with doing? Um, one of the reasons I really like this movie, and I, I've heard people compare this movie a little bit to Smile, uh, and I'm sorry, I think this movie is head and shoulders above Smile, and the one reason that I'm going to give because of that is because our, and our, our protagonist did what needed to be done to stop the threat. Um, what's her face in Smile? Kevin Bacon's daughter, whatever the hell her name is, that character could have stopped the horror in that movie. She chose not to out of fear or just lack of desire to do it or whatever the fucking case, or maybe she is just a dumb ass character and didn't see the obvious in front of her. Whereas Sam in this movie, she sees what needs to be done. She knows that she has no option, but to do what she ends up doing. And I think it's so brave and adult of her. I mean, this is like a 16, 17 year old girl. Like, I don't even think she has a driver's license yet. So you could make the argument she's 15, 16, but she still made such an adult decision for everyone in her community at the end of the film that it it makes her a hero of mine, honestly. And I would love to see more of adventures with Sam, though. I don't think there's not, I don't think there's much more story to be told here. You know, if if they're able to contain the demon the way that they chose to at the end of this film, then there's not really a whole lot of story to tell. And then if the demon does end up getting free, it's just going to be more of the same that we've already seen. So the likelihood that this gets a sequel or any kind of side story is slim to none. As much as I enjoyed Sam and would love to see her continuing adventures, so... Um, anything else you guys want to add before we get into our, what will be a fairly quick walkthrough? Uh, I just wanted to add, cause I wasn't sure how to talk about the ending without spoiling it, but I think you did pretty well. Um, I, I did like the way it ended 
Um, mm-hmm. It's kind of like bittersweet. It's it's like in, in a way. Well, no, I don't even want to say too much. I'll I'll just say once we get to spoilers, we can we can uh, elaborate on it. But I how they approached it, and it's almost like like could do a sequel, but it's totally unnecessary. Like I think the way they left it off was just, it, it, it. It's kind of like well, this is what had to be done. This is is what was done, and. Ultimately, like it's good. There'll still be consequences to what we had to do, and I, I think that's like, especially like dealing with like younger characters, you know, where you might get the crowd that like wants the happy ending or like the hundred percent pure happy ending. I did appreciate how they went with the uh, or with the story and did exactly. All right then, folks. So that's your that's going to be your final spoiler warning. If you have not seen it, lives inside and have an interest in seeing it, I would suggest pausing the show and coming back after you watch it. If you've already seen it or have no interest in seeing it, then by all means join us and so that you can hear more details on what we think of this one. So here we go, my friends. Our movie opens up with a cold open scene where we basically see just like the camera kind of panning through this house. We can hear the noises of struggle. We can hear people screaming and some kind of confrontation happening, but it's obviously away from where the camera is. The camera is still kind of panning through other unoccupied parts of the house. Finally, we get to the basement of the house and that's where we start to see blood. We start to see body parts um, and eventually, you know, Basically, the noise stops. Everyone who was in that room, who was of human <laughs> descent, is uh, has been dispatched. We see, you know, multiple people dead on the floor. And then the camera pans over to a glass mason jar, just a standard glass mason jar. The music swells, and that's the end of our cold open. So out of context, there's not really a whole lot going on in this scene, other than we know a family of people have been killed by something. So after the credits, after the opening credits, we are introduced to Sam. She is an Indian-American girl living in America with her parents. Her parents, who are actually pretty young. I don't know if maybe it's just me getting older, but, like, <laughs> I hate to be so crass, but mom was gorgeous. God damn, I'm sorry. Mom was, uh, mom was yes, a looker. she was. That was what <laughs> I took because I was like, mom, I'm sorry. Uh, she doesn't have any siblings. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> well, I guess just right, I'm, I'm dad surprised is always... the daughter didn't have any siblings, right? Cause the no, mom, valid. Yeah. <laughs> the only explanation for that is just that probably because dad's never home because uh, he works that weird shift that he was talking about where he works nights or whatever, or usually works nights. And I guess they they have some throwaway lines throughout the movie that, you know, dad's always at work, blah, blah, blah. So yeah, that's the only defense I can say for that. Uh, anyway, we are introduced to Sam. Uh, like I said, she's just your, you know, basic Indian American girl. She's very Americanized, doesn't speak with an accent, barely uses her own Hindi language, even when at home talking to her parents. And uh, basically she has this friend, or at least 
most of the people at the school think that it's her friend because it's the only other Indian American at the school. It's a girl named uh, Tamira. The difference is, though, where whereas you can see Sam comes from a good family, she's well-dressed, she's cleaned up nicely, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Tamira looks like she's kind of disheveled and potentially homeless, maybe living in a shack or something. Like, we're not 100% sure. But we also notice that she's carrying around a jar with her. Everywhere she goes, she has this jar. And obviously, you know, we saw the cold open, which ended with a shot of a jar on the ground. So obviously this jar has some kind of significance. She keeps talking to herself while dealing with the jar. She's kind of talking to herself like, oh, you know, I thought I just had to feed it. You know, like little things, little just like things that she's saying out loud to herself. Eventually, we see her walking around the school, and blood starts dripping out of her backpack. She still has the jar in her hands. She's literally walking around like it's the Holy Grail. Like, she doesn't put it down. It's always in her hands. She's always tapping on it with one of her fingernails. And like I said, then we notice that there's blood dripping out of her bag. Eventually, we do see her open up her bag and pull out just random bits of meat, just like cubes of beef, or at least I hope it's beef, and putting it inside the jar. What she'll do is she'll open the jar and then really, really quickly throw the piece of meat in there and, and shut the jar again really quickly. And then we hear the noises of something chewing. So obviously, there is something inside that jar don't know what, but it's obviously causing Tamira all sorts of problems in her life to the point where she's now a social pariah. Nobody really speaks to her. You know, she's that loser girl that everybody makes fun of. She she eats lunch, you know, underneath the bleachers by herself every day, blah, 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 blah. Eventually, Sam and Tamara have a, a little altercation where um, – Sam uh, is finally confronted by one of her teachers, basically saying, do you know what's going on with Tamara? I thought she was your friend. And Sam is like, no, Tamara is not my friend just because she's the only other Indian girl. She basically she plays the race card on this teacher. But this teacher is actually really, really nice, just trying to be helpful. I don't think she actually intended anything racist by it. But um, uh, eventually Sam kind of, you know, says, okay, fine, I'll, I'll see if I can figure out what's wrong with her. She ends up uh, cornering, getting cornered, excuse me, in the girl's locker room by Tamira, still holding the jar in her hand. And it basically looks like Tamira has finally made the decision of, I need to talk to someone, I need to tell someone what I'm going through. And the story that she starts to tell Sam is obviously very hard to believe, hard to swallow. Um... She basically tries to say that there is something inside the jar, something that is basically controlling her life that is attached to her, but that she's having trouble, you know, keeping it under control and blah, blah, blah. Sam obviously instantly thinks that Tamara is on some kind of drugs or whatever the case may be, doesn't believe her, but she's still being somewhat kind to her. Eventually, uh, a few of the white girls at the school that are friends with Sam kind of turn the corner and start to watch the interaction between Sam and Tamara, uh, Tamira, excuse me, Tamira. And 
as soon as Sam notices that she's being watched by the popular girls, she kind of turns into a mean girl herself, and she actually slaps the jar out of uh, Tamira's hands. Of course, the jar, the jar falls to the ground and breaks, and we see this kind of black mist kind of come out of the jar and almost like float away. It doesn't like go into anyone necessarily. It just kind of dissipates and goes away. Um, obviously Tamira is freaked out about it because the, you know, whatever was in the jar is now out and they have one, one last altercation where Sam and Tamira are basically right at the front door of the school. Tamira freaks out because she sees something standing behind Sam. Sam turns around and obviously sees nothing. So Sam decides to tell uh, Tamira, stay right there. I'm going to go get that teacher, you know, the one teacher who seems to be helpful. But when she goes to get the teacher and comes back, Tamira's gone. She's gone. She, nothing. The only thing that's left behind is a very old journal. It looks literally this thing looks older than the Necronomicon. This fucking thing is just disheveled and just shitty looking, water damaged, just everything. Uh, Sam ends up picking it up because it's literally the only thing that uh, Tamira left behind. Doesn't give it to the police after Tamira is uh, reported missing. Tamira ends up being missing for two, three days um, before, you know, people start uh, speaking to Sam to see if she knows anything about it. Uh, and, and during all of this, and <laughs> any of you guys who've been listening to me for a, a decent amount of time know that I hate forced romances in my genre films, and of course we have one here. Uh, eventually, one of the popular kids that Sam actually has feeling, feelings for starts to reciprocate those feelings, you know, invites her to a party. They go to a party. Um, the party is outdoors. The party ends up getting rained out, so they kind of take off to do their own thing, blah, blah, blah. This is where uh, Sam kind of confides in this kid. What was this kid's name? Russ. Russ was this kid's name. And folks... I've seen enough genre films that when I see the good-looking popular kid suddenly, you know, showing some kind of attention to the oddball foreigner girl who nobody really likes to hang out with, instantly I'm thinking this is going to be a Carrie situation. He's just messing with her. He's eventually going to play a prank or something stupid. So instantly I didn't like this guy by no fault of his own necessarily. It's not that he does, it's not that his character does anything in the movie that makes me think, oh, this guy's an asshole. Just something about his look, you know, he, he's that popular jock douchebag um, that I've pretty much hate, hated my entire life. But like I said, just something about him rubbed me the wrong way, and I didn't really like all the scenes with him in it. This is where the movie kind of starts to drag, where they're kind of dragging out this relationship they drag it out through this party. There's a scene where Russ gets Sam to dance, and it's just it's hard to fucking watch. But it's kind of cute, but at the same time, it's like it doesn't belong in this movie. I don't need this piece of character development. <clears throat> Excuse me. Eventually, like I said, Sam confides in Russ with uh, what happened to Tamira, what she thinks may have happened to Tamira. And obviously, since... 
uh, Tamira has gone missing and Sam has had this journal. She's been flipping through it, reading it, trying to see if there's anything in there. Most of the text in there is in Hindi. And unfortunately, even though Sam is Hindi, she is an Americanized Hindi. So she she can't read her own language. But there are some English passages in the book, just very cryptic passages like, you know, uh, I need a vessel. I can trap it in a vessel or something like just just little random lines like that. No, like real instructions or anything. And then there's a page just covered with the number seven, uh, just seven, seven, sevens, you know, written out, written in numbers, written in Roman numerals, just a bunch of sevens. So obviously seven has some kind of significance, but she doesn't know what yet. So what she decides to do is she decides she figures out that the journal that she's holding actually belonged to a kid who had died the year previous, um, long before, you know, uh, Tamira went missing or anything like that. And this was another Indian family who apparently um, left India in a rush. They were leaving. They, they were basically running away from something. No one really knows what, but they, you know, they left in a drastically uh, quick amount of time. And then when they got to the, to the States, um, you know, the, the youngest kid in the family, the son, the only son of the family, started exhibiting really weird loner mentality. Basically, a lot of what we were seeing from Tamira throughout the film. Um, she decides uh, that she's she wants to help try to find Tamira because she's not happy with the police involvement in a missing Indian girl in this utopian you know community. So she decides to go back to that kid's house, the original kid, the owner of this journal, the one who actually wrote the journal. While they're there, they talk a little bit about the crime that happened there, which is the cold open that we saw earlier on. Basically, this kid and his family were all killed in that house, and no one knows why. It's basically a cold case. It's an unsolved uh, murder. Um, they just found the bodies. Some of them displayed um, almost like burning uh, wounds, like, you know, uh, burning scarification. Others, you know, had body parts missing, blah, 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 blah. So, you know, it was still basically unsolved. They go into the house trying to find some clues, and inside of the boys uh, of the son's bedroom, they find a painting, and it's a painting of the boy, like a self-portrait type thing, but it looks like some kind of misty spirit is either coming out of his mouth or going in. They can't really tell. Russ even makes the comment, is that thing going in his mouth or coming out? You can't really tell in the image. But um, eventually... Uh, the teacher, the you know, the kind teacher who is Joyce. Her name is Joyce. I'm sorry. Um, Joyce uh, does a little bit of research on her own. Sam once again confides in the teacher of what's happening to her, what she's seeing, even though, you know, it could be, you know, just kind of blown off as hallucination or drug use or something like that. The teacher shows genuine concern. Joyce takes the picture. She has Sam kind of text the picture to her. And then the teacher does some research and actually finds some information. What she finds is that the spirit that's um, represented in the image is called a pashash. And a pashash, if as we look at Wikipedia, it actually does come from Indian mythology. It's actually a real demon. 
And what the, what a Pishash is, is it is a flesh-eating demon in Dharmic religions appearing in Hindu and Buddhist uh, uh, mythologies. A Pishash is a malevolent being that has often been referred to as the very manifestation of evil. So literally, this is like Satan for Indian people. You know, just literally the representation of evil. So um, Joyce was able to find that information, <clears throat> but... When Joyce tries to convey that information to Sam, something starts to mess with Joyce. Uh, lights start flickering at the school. Joyce is still at school by herself. It's long after classes are over. And something starts chasing her around the school. Something attacks her. Eventually we see like the silhouette of a creature standing behind Joyce at one point when she turns off the lights. Um, in the middle of the chase, and it's a pretty decent little chase sequence, like a good, you know, five to eight minutes long. Uh, during the chase, Joyce calls Sam, but unfortunately Sam doesn't have her phone with her at that moment. She's kind of having a heart-to-heart -heart with her mother at the exact time that this is all happening. Joyce eventually does get attacked, um, but while Joyce is being attacked at home, like I said, Sam and her mother are having like a heart-to-heart back at the house where Sam finally confides in her mother, you know, what exactly is going on, what she's seeing and what she thinks is happening. And then this is when mom kind of confirms everything that the teacher told her about the Pashash and that this thing is attracted to darkness, loneliness, despair, you know, people, you know, loners who don't have any friends, uh, people that have a lot of, you know, hate in their heart or or despair in their heart, you know, whatever the case may be. Basically, if the and and the fact that um, Sam is trying to kind of distance herself from her Indian culture is is basically making her a loner because the white kids at school don't really like her because she's a foreigner, but then she doesn't like hanging out with her family and doing traditional Indian things. Uh, because she wants to be more Americanized, so she is that lonely soul that I talked about earlier on. And what the Pashash does is that it slowly um, tries to make you insane. It doesn't kill its victim right away. What it does is basically eats, the way it's described in the movie is that it eats your soul slowly. So what it does is it basically starts taking all, uh, um, attacking people, that try to help Sam. And in a scene that I kind of skipped earlier, which is actually one of the scenes that may put a big smile on my face, when Sam and Russ go to the original victim's home, uh, I forgot to mention that Russ was attacked. Uh, they were sitting, they weren't in the house, but they were in the backyard on the swing set. And while Sam was inside trying to get the journal that she had dropped uh, when they were walking around the house earlier, uh, Russ gets attacked by an invisible entity. We we can hear the entity. We can hear like the growling and you know the guttural noises that a monster makes, but we don't see anything. And we basically just see Russ kind of floating in the air, getting batted around by some invisible force. You know, finally, uh, whatever the thing is breaks Russ's neck. So you know, like I said, within ten minutes of me deciding I don't like that character, the movie decides to take him out. So good job, movie. You get you get bonus points for that one. Anyway, um, 
back to um, Joyce being attacked at the school. And then at the same time, Sam is at home talking to her mother. Sam's mother is actually really, really, she handles all of this really well. Like she does at no point does she like uh, accuse Sam of doing drugs or lying or telling stories or blah, blah, blah. Instantly mom is like, Oh shit, that's a Pashash. Uh, yeah. You, you have, you have problems. And basically mom uh, grabs the journal or Sam shows mom that journal that had all the Hindi in it. And luckily mom, who is a traditional, you know, Indian can read Hindi. So she's actually reading it and she's talking about some of the things that she's reading in there about how you can trap the Pashash in a vessel as long as you keep it sated, like you keep it fed. You know, you remember we saw Tamira putting that piece of meat inside the jar. Apparently, if you keep it sated, you could keep it inside a vessel and, you know, keep it, keep, you know, the people around you safe, blah, blah, blah. Mom and Sam decide to do exactly that. And what they do is mom reads a passage in the book that is like a spell. It's basically like an enchantment that will get the spirit into the vessel. So if Sam is holding a vessel and she says the magic words for, you know, lack of a better term, uh, the spirit should get trapped in the jar. Um, so they actually start practicing uh, the, the magic words, if you will, the enchantment. They practice it in Hindi over and over and over again. And what's funny is that at the same time, like I said, Joyce is being attacked at the school. Suddenly, when Sam and her mother start reading the enchantment, the attack stops. The creature, like, leaves Joyce alone and realizes, oh, shit, somebody's figuring out how to defeat me. I gotta, I gotta put a stop to this. So literally... Um, the camera pans back to Sam's house where she's still there practicing her enchantment with her mother. Suddenly something starts coming in the front door and mom grabs a knife, a uh, good on her smart lady. And she has Sam stand behind her while they're basically standing at the front door waiting for this thing to come through. As it turns out, of course, it's just dad coming home early from work. Dad never comes home this early and for whatever reason, you know, because of Tamira's disappearance and Sam obviously having some emotional issues, he decided to leave work early that day and come home. Unfortunately, as soon as Dad walks through the door and Sam and Mom see that it's Dad, something attacks Dad from behind. Literally something. It looks like some somebody di uh, pulls a Michael Myers on him where he gets stabbed from behind and then lifted up in the air like Michael did to that nurse in Halloween 2. And we see, and then dad is violently thrown to the ground and we see this gigantic gash. It looks like someone took a fucking samurai sword and just hacked right at dad's back. Uh, fortunately, dad survives the attack. When Sam goes down on the ground to see, <laughs> excuse me, when Sam bends down to see if dad is still alive, he's still alive. He's breathing and uh, Sam tells her mother, he's still alive. Take care of him. I'm going to go and I think I know where Tamara is. Basically, through the conversation with her mother, uh, the mother says that the only place that the Pashash can feed is at a place where a murder has taken place. I don't know how mom knows that, but there you go. And obviously, Sam instantly is like, oh, shit, they're back at the original house. And they are. Sam ends up leaving mom to deal with dad. 
uh, when Sam gets to that location, <laughs> she ends up getting attacked by an invisible force. Eventually, she does find Tamira, and I, 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 I skipped the whole seven thing. Um, you remember the page in the journal that had the number seven written multiple times. As it turns mm-hmm. out, it takes the Pashash seven days to completely eat your soul. It has to take you, basically it has to take you captive, take you to the place where it's going to feed on you, and then it slowly feeds on you for seven days until finally on the seventh day it completely devours your soul and you're gone. You're basically dead forever. Um, and, of course, this is the seventh day since Tamira has been missing. Um, so, like I said, Sam figures out where Tamira is, and she does eventually find Tamira in, like, a bathtub, like an abandoned bathtub that's covered with, like, a tarp. And as soon as she finds Tamira, the demon finds her, and this basically starts our final confrontation. Sam has a mason jar with her that she brought from home, and as soon as she sees or can tell that the demon is in the same room with her, because like I said, the demon, it's only right about now that we get the full exposure to the demon, to the Pashash. We get to see him in all his glory. He's about, I don't know, he's about seven feet tall. He's all black. He's got like spikes, almost like Godzilla spikes running down his spine. And like I said, he's got a mouth of teeth that are just so sharp and large that this thing couldn't possibly close its mouth even if it wanted to. But somehow it can still feed on on humans, so there you go. Uh, so like I said, we have our little confrontation. <clears throat> Excuse me, folks. Bear with me here. Um, Sam starts uh, reciting the enchantment. Uh, we see the demon kind of start to be affected, but not enough that he's, you know, kind of how can I put it? Like, she she never gets the upper hand on the demon. And the reason is, is because she's saying the enchantment by herself. Right before Sam ran out of her house to save Tamira, her mother yells and says, don't go by yourself. You're not going to be able to defeat the thing by yourself. And she says that she's aware of that and that she won't be alone, obviously anticipating that Tamira will still be there waiting for her. Um, so, like I said, Sam starts with the enchantment by herself, but the demon is only mildly affected, and then the demon hits the jar out of uh, Sam's hand, and it smashes all over the ground. It's gone. <coughs> Excuse me again. So, our vessel is gone, but Sam, in her infinite fucking wisdom, remembers that when her mother was relaying the story of the Pashash and the different things that you can use as a vessel, mom actually said that at one point the Pashash was actually um, that a young Swami basically became a vessel and took the Pashash into his own body and basically held the Pashash captive within his own body. Once again, As long as you feed the demon, you know, give it some kind of sustenance, you can keep it inside of whatever vessel safely. So, of course, Sam realizes this and says, well, there's no other choice. There's no other vessel here. I guess I'll just bite the bullet on this one. And at that exact moment, Tamira wakes up. And Tamira already knows the enchantment. So, obviously, well, obviously Tamira knows the enchantment because she had the demon in a jar. So, 
<coughs> excuse me again. So uh, now with Sam and Tamira both reciting the enchantment, we see the demon start to be affected. We see that he's in pain, he's struggling, and then suddenly the demon dissipates into the black smoke that we remember seeing coming out of the broken jar earlier in the film, and it goes right into Sam's mouth, and literally the entire demon goes in there. Oh, no. Sam seems. <laughs> What's up? I'm sorry. Uh, no, I was saying. Oh no! Our <laughs> main character is basically sacrificing for her friend. Exactly. Yeah, she decided. You know, she did the adult thing and realized that. Well, there's nothing else that we can use as a vessel here. So fuck it. I'll be the vessel. And and she did this without any prior knowledge of knowing how to do it or knowing how it would affect her life moving forward. Because when the mom told her the story about the young Swami, she never says anything after it, like, oh, he lived a happy life after that. You know, you kind of assume that if you're living with a demon inside you, life ain't so great. So, <clears throat> excuse me. So, again, um, the demon has been dispatched. It is now inside of Sam. She's able to get Tamara out of the bathtub. They both walk out of the building. And the camera fades to black. When the camera fades back up, we see text on the screen that says one year later. So it is uh, exactly a year after Sam rescued Tamira. And what we see is uh, we see Sam at, at the dinner table with her family and her extended family, including Tamira. And they're actually taking part in the dinner that Sam didn't really want to take part in a year earlier. You know, remember, she was kind of distancing herself from her Indian culture. So now, uh, and basically, they don't eat meat in that family. Um, they, they made a couple of points throughout the movie to say that there's no meat in the house or, you know, that we're vegetarians or whatever. But to satisfy the demon, apparently, I don't know how often they do this, but every now and again, they will feed her um, I don't. I don't want to say that it was raw meat, but it, it was definitely very steak tartare looking. <laughs> you know, very very red, very juicy. So maybe maybe it could have been like some kind of curry where they could still serve the meat very undercooked, but still be flavorful enough for the person eating it. But you can yeah. see that. Yeah, I, you can see. I was as definitely Sam, trying to figure oh, out. If it, I was sorry, sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt. I oh, I was trying to figure out like if it's just like raw meat or if like there is something like um uh like cultural about that specific dish because yeah, it's definitely exactly. like obviously <laughs> we know what what the purpose of it is for but i i wasn't sure if it was just like well we're gonna have to serve it like raw meat and some type of blood sauce or something exactly that's why i was saying steak tartare because that's for those who don't know what steak tartare is, it is basically raw steak in like a red sauce that looks very bloody. I mean, it looks like a vampire's favorite meal, basically. Uh, we've actually seen it in some horror movies where the vampires will actually eat it. I think Waxworks was one of them where they had a vampire eating steak tartare. Anyway, so yeah, so now Sam is the vessel and she basically, you know, has to eat raw meat every now and again to satisfy the demon, but she seems fine. Like she's not, you know, doing things against her will. And then we see Tamara, uh, Tamira, God damn it. 
uh, we, we finally see Tamira not in a disheveled state. She actually, you know, she's all cleaned up. She looks normal and she's just as pretty as Sam. So, you know, good for her. And, um, and then they basically just have their little goodbye at the end. And then w- the movie basically ends with a close up of Sam and we see a single tear fall from her face. So. That's up for interpretation, I guess. Is that the demon crying because he's trapped? Is that Sam crying because she has a demon inside her? Is it Sam crying because she has to eat raw meat? I don't know. But it did did seem like a nice image to leave the movie on. You know, Sam has saved the day. She has made herself a martyr. And now the community is safe. No one has to worry, at least until this thing gets out for the sequel. But there you go, folks. Yeah, I I don't think there's a right or wrong answer. The way I personally interpreted it was um she she kind of is putting on like a happy face for like probably friends and family about like, "Oh yeah, I'm okay with how this turned out. Obviously, it's not it's not the best case scenario, but I sacrificed and everything's going to be okay as long as I do what I got to do." And then the only time she can really show emotion about it is when like no one's kind of like looking at her or when she's like by herself. So then she kind of let out some emotion. That's valid. I I can see that. Absolutely. I'm down with that one. Yeah, I was pretty similar. Um, I I pretty much thought that it was, she's going to, you know, put on, you know, the the brave face for everybody else and just basically be the, you know, like the blank slate just because the creature's there, but then because she's not really around anyone else, that's when she can really like let her true color show. So, yeah, I, I was. Yeah, I was pretty pretty close. Cool. Well, there you go, folks. <laughs> what else you got, Mike? Uh, not not much. I mean, <laughs> I actually didn't end up having to really elaborate too much because you kind of set it up to where I just gave my opinion on it, but. Um, I like kind of like it almost had like a Babadook like ending and the fact that like you can never really totally defeat this. You kind of have to manage it. Um, now where Babadook was more, uh, metaphorical managing. Enjoyable. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Babadook was more man, like metaphorical in what you're managing where this is like a literal actual entity that she's going to probably unless like I guess they could always find, try to find like another vessel um, but that, that would be like to me that was probably that was my sequel idea which was is that they're trying to that there's a countdown now on her to where it's eating her out from inside because it's inside of her so now there's a countdown like the seven days thing to try to get it out of her and try to find a different way of removing it without letting the demon, you know, eat her out from inside. And then because it's doing that, it goes on a killing spree and, you know, you get more bodies because it's trying to control her and kill, you know, make her kill others to try to, in, in you know, just ensure that it, it gets out in time. And then, you know, there's the race to figure out how to transfer it out of her without killing her. So that was basically my sequel idea. There you go, Hollywood. Dom's got your sequel half written. Hit him up. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get the strike over first, but... <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's true. Actually, we could write it now, since we don't have to be a part of the union. <laughs> we could be scab writers. I'm sure that'll make us a lot of friends in Hollywood. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Well, that looks like it's going to wrap up our discussion on uh, It Lives Inside as well as this episode. But before we get out of here, let's see if in our time off some new episodes from any of us drop. So, Venom, I'm assuming unless it comes to a guest spot, you probably didn't record anything new. But I'll ask anyway. Is there, is there anything new from you out there? <laughs> Nothing new from me at all other than being able to sleep a full night without coughing my brains out. Yeah. <laughs> Just uh, just a couple of weeks of, re- you know, I was in Vegas two weeks ago, which, you know, um, sounds obviously, like yeah, yeah, basically that's where I got sick, I'm sure. I mean, God, that convention I was at was just shoulder to shoulder people the entire time you were there. I've been to Comic-Cons and E3s that weren't as crowded as this convention. So, yeah, it was, you could smell the COVID in the air. So I kind of knew I was going to get sick on the way home. I'm like, oh, yeah, I got something. I was hoping it would just be like a, a flu or a cold or something. But, nah, it was the big boys. So, oh, well. Uh, but, yeah, as far as me, obviously nothing from me. Uh, this is the first thing I've recorded in, what, two weeks now since the last Fresh Cuts, uh, what, The Nun? So, yeah, nothing new from me. Obviously, uh, for Creature Comforts, episode 19 is still the latest episode where we looked at 20 million miles to Earth. Uh, and that's pretty much all I got. I got guest spots coming up on um, podcasts under the stairs, cut to the chase, um, you know, cut to the chase for the thrills and chills thing. Um, I, I think I have one more guest spot lined up, but I haven't spoken to the guy and like since before I went to Vegas. So I don't really want to speak on that one yet until I know definitively. And then, of course, October is coming, so it'll be, you know, right back to watching a great batch of horror films, and hopefully, you know, we'll have a Halloween special this year for the main show, which, you know, has kind of turned into tradition for us, and blah, 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 blah. So really, really just looking forward to October and, um, you know, uh, looking for some more opportunities to podcast, but yeah, uh, nothing from me new anyway, so that's it for me. (laughs) All right, how about you, Dom? Uh, yeah, um, so as you mentioned, uh, Creature Comforts is available. Um, I don't know if we'll probably, if we'll get a new one in on October. I mean, I'd be down if that was the case, but, um, you know, we'll probably end up pushing that to November just to, you know, give us all a, a little bit more time having, a, you know, our October Madness Fund. So um, we'll, you know, we'll keep you up to date on that, but. Uh, the only other thing that I have is the uh, one wasn't uh, you know announced last week, but uh, the last two episodes of the season for Poor Countdown. Uh, we have um, my episode on uh, top ten David Cronenberg, or I should say top ten ish. You'll find out why when you listen to the episode. But uh, if you heard my thoughts on uh, Infinity Pool earlier this year, you may get an idea of where I'm going with uh, my thoughts on him. <laughs> But uh, the other one is uh, my season finale, and uh, I went out with a bang as uh, I brought on board our brother Derek, and we looked at 1960s posters. So that was a uh, yeah, that was a fun time. So yeah, we weren't talking movies. We weren't talking about how good the movies in question are. Uh, we talked about the actual theatrical posters. So. Uh, the original versions, not anything that's uh, been added to uh, re-releases or, uh, you know, you know, physical media or anything like that. The original ones that you saw lined up at the theaters when you went to the brick and mortar places. So, uh, yeah, it was a, a lot of fun. And uh, 
definitely ended the year on a bang. So uh, be on the lookout for uh, next uh, year to come out uh, in January of 2024. But uh, yeah, uh, go ahead and listen to the back catalog because uh, I need those numbers, folks. They're down from year one. So. Oh. Yeah, um, I, I was regularly hitting 100 on most of my episodes, and uh, this year I seem to be hitting the uh, 60s to 70s. So that's, uh, you know, yeah, I don't know if uh, it's, you know, new metrics or some weird thing on uh, Spotify, but, yeah, I usually go in and I'd see uh, usually that um, new episodes would be around 100 plays, and uh, most of the episodes this year would be in the 60s. So, not that all of them were, but um, that that was like the case more often than not. So, uh, yeah, go ahead and uh, you know listen to the news. Go ahead and listen to the news old stuff until I have new ones. So yeah, uh, season two is in the books, and season three will come out in the new year, which uh, I'm really looking forward to. So yeah, that's uh, pretty much all on my end. All right, uh, for me, nothing new. I got some guest spots probably lined up for the fall but uh, nothing to announce yet um so it's just uh fresh cuts and the main show speaking of looks like we have a rescheduled date for the main show so uh if all goes well it'll be recording this upcoming week and as far as fresh cuts we gotta have another is is this what what week are we in in september uh, saw saw is the saw same. Okay. Yeah, saw. Then I think it's believer because of the reschedule, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, Exorcist is October sixth now, so yep. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So saw ten. Very interesting. It's it's interesting because it's the tenth installment, but it's actually taking place along the timeline, like very early in the franchise. So um, that's it, it. It should be a good thing for everyone that like wants Jigsaw to be a bigger presence. In yeah. uh, a Saw movie, which I personally do as well, so um, I'm I'm looking forward to it to be to be honest, because yeah, it's a sequel, but not kind of like your typical timeline sequel. Mm-hmm. So we will see how it goes there. Um, other than that, yeah, uh, we still got quite a bit theatrically coming out, so oh, we yeah. should be able to get to the theater a lot this fall and winter. It should be fun. Uh, uh, it's kind of like a race to the end of 2023 to see what can uh, still get on our list because there's plenty of room to get on a top ten list at this point. <laughs> uh, and yeah. also, if you are in the Southern California area, do not forget Monster Palooza will be taking place at the Burbank Hilton uh, the weekend of October, Friday the 13th. So literally on Friday the 13th, I will be at Monster Palooza getting some of my Funko Pops autographed and just getting some more horror memorabilia and blah, 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 blah. So, yeah, that's going to be a Third fun round weekend. Of uh, oh, hell, why not? Let's go. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm pretty sure I'm going to wear a mask to Monster Palooza. So just uh, if anybody wants to, wants to get together, you know, hang out, meet me, just look for the guy with the uh, Mr. Venom Raiders uh, hoodie. But, yeah, don't look for my face because I'll have a mask on. cool all right well with that that's going to wrap up this episode of fresh cuts thank you everyone for listening we'll be back in about a week with uh the next episode until then let's say bye to our listeners later
Never ever forget your culture. Uh, it, it, obviously, as a, as Americans, we want to be as normal, quote unquote, normal as possible, and be one of the crowd. But folks, your your culture is incredibly important. I myself is, am a Spaniard. I still um, participate in Spanish culture all the time. I know I'm getting a little long winded and, and preachy with my goodbye, but yeah. Don't 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 ignore your culture or you'll get possessed by a demon. So there you go. Yeah, and if someone's holding a jar and guarding it like a baby, don't knock it out of their hands. <laughs> yeah, really. <What> the hell? <laughs> Peace.